1: Good afternoon, this is Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture and I'm Kelly Anissa. The International is an annual Dota 2 eSports tournament and is one of the most anticipated eSports events of the year. Today, we'll explore this growing area of sport and take a look at some of the legal and ethical issues that are currently prevalent in this industry. Joining me on the show today to tell me more about that is Richard Wee, who is a sports lawyer and paralegal Brian Wu. Welcome to the show, Brian and Richard.
0: Hi Kelly, nice to be back.
1: So before we go any deeper into the topic uh, for our show today, let's start with the basics. you know what qualifies as eSport?
0: Um, well I'm going to try and take a jab there, despite being the uh, older guy here. <laughs> um, a good question, Kelly. Actually, that is a common question um, we face even though we are merely the solicitors uh, doing work on eSports. Uh, but from what we can see internationally, uh, worldwide, globally, uh any game, any computer game which has evolved into a competitive nature uh between two person or more uh has now become an esports.
1: Mm.
0: You know? Yeah. So uh, that's how I think uh I wouldn't say the word how do you define or how do you decide what is esports I would describe to you what esports is,
1: mm. and last year ten million ringgit was allocated specifically for esports in the tabling of our budget, and now um, you know esports will also be featured as a medal sport at the two thousand and nineteen Southeast Asian Games. So it's clearly gaining some traction. Um, you know, so can you paint me a picture on how prevalent this uh, industry is here in Malaysia and globally?
0: Well, I, I think I'm going to ask Brian to also take a jab on that, but let me give you. Uh, a slight overview first. Uh, you're spot on about the budget. Uh, uh, the government of Malaysia have granted uh, ten million ringgit to MDAC uh, to uh, try and uh, get kick, kick to kickstart uh, the esports uh, industry of Malaysia. Mm. And uh, acknowledgement of the Sea Games is a very very uh, essential, I, I would say, a big milestone for esports in Malaysia. So. Across the board, the um, the atmosphere and the uh, uh, the ecosystem of esports now. So, with regards to the ecosystem in uh, Malaysia, uh, because of the uh, government involvement, the government support uh, is become more and more prevalent among the uh, Malaysians all over uh, all over the the, the, the age group. You know, uh, it, there is a perception that esports are played by the youth. Uh, that's incorrect. Uh, there mm. are many fairly uh, adult players. Uh, someone who was forty years old, male or female, they are actually getting involved in in certain esports too.
1: Right.
0: And now with the uh, potential uh, professional capacity, uh, professional career in esports and, and tournament uh, for esports, uh, more and more people are getting into it. So it's it's a it's a growing. Growing, grow, maybe Brian may want to.
2: Twenty-three years old, ladies. Mm.
1: Yeah. Um, Brian, do you have anything to add on to that? Uh, I think
2: also because this is the fourth industrial revolution, so technology is growing, is taking over a lot of aspects of our lives, and um, because of this accessibility, also is the other issue that I think or the other benefit. Uh, because it's so a mobile phone, pick up a mobile phone, you can play an esports mm. game. So there is this, um, always this. Thought that hey, I could be the next uh, big thing in esports. And Malaysia has some of the best players in Dota Two. Uh, way back in the past few years, uh, we have even today one of the best player who's going to play at the uh, the international uh, next soon. Um, he is also Malaysian. We have five Malaysians in that event. So it's we we always have this notion that we may be the next um, big thing. Mm.
1: And um, eSports Malaysia, or ESM, is the governing body for electronic sports in Malaysia. So last year, the Youth and Sports Minister, Said Sadiq Say Abdul Rahman, said that the restructuring of ESM will take place in March this year. And, you know, that would be when the association holds its election. Well, it's August now. <laughs> well, you know, what are the updates on that front?
0: Well, I, I can share some um, information which uh, I, we, we were recently... Uh, informed of Uh, and we both uh, Brian and I we have some personal engagement with ESM Uh, ESM recently held an AGM I think about a month or two months ago and they have appointed elected a new president and um, I understand that the new committee have uh, already taken steps to rename ESM to Esports Federation uh, of Malaysia and and uh, that same new committee have taken steps to uh, get the esports team to uh, be selected for the Sea Games. The selection process, coaching. Um, uh, they are also now trying to change the way uh, they communicate and engage uh, with uh, the esports community. Uh, I understand they've even appointed a communication officer. Mm. Uh, to deal with uh, uh, communications with the community. Um, most of them are, are, are new in the, in the new ESM, also known as eSports Federation, which I think will be uh, formally announced very, very soon. Okay. And in fact, today, just today uh, at MDAC, uh, they had a press conference uh, announcing the new Level Up uh, Conference in 2019. I think it's the fourth uh, level up conference so the new uh, process is going to be that uh, this conference will be open to the public instead of the usual register and come in and at that uh, uh, press conference uh, MDAC and ESM now they formally in fact they just announced that they are going to be known as ESF uh, Esports Federation soon sign a memorandum of understanding towards uh, uh, building a esports uh, uh, project Together, So there are things going on and I think what uh, the Minister YB uh, Sadek has mentioned uh, way back earlier in the year has to some extent or large extent taken place. Of course, unfortunately, both Brian and I, we are not privy to the uh, what exactly is happening in ESM. Uh, but uh, from what I can see, I think uh, the new committees taking over ESM is generally trying to uh, change, evolve and hopefully become more acceptable to the esports community. Mm.
1: And how effective has ESM been in tackling issues in esports in the past?
0: Oh, <laughs> either okay. one of you want to the take question. this? All right, that uh, I'll take the question. All right, um, I, I think those um, those ESM committee members uh, who who prior to this, if they hear what I'm going to say, some of them may not be. Uh, they may not be happy, uh, mm. but I, I'll just say it. Uh, that There were events involving uh, tournaments where players were not paid. Uh, events co-organised with ESM. Uh, some were actually organised by ESM. Of course, we, we will never know what exactly happened. Was it ESM's error? Was it the sponsor's error? Uh, we're not privy to that uh, information. But all we know uh, is that players are not paid. And these are players who want... Who uh, legitimately took part in the tournament, uh, declared as winner, runners up, etc. But they didn't get paid, uh, or never received their their um, prize money. They, mm-hmm. That's what I meant by not get paid. Right. So uh, until now, they have not received. So that's that's quite bad, if you ask me. As a, in any professional uh, setup for sports, uh, the key is to pay your players. So in the past, that was the one of the uh, biggest challenges faced by ESM. And I think uh, uh, that was what, uh, why why Sadek had to say what he said, which you just quoted, mm-hmm. because of that perception uh, that ESM may not have done enough. Uh, but uh, I'm not sure whether the new committee can deal with those uh, ch- uh, questions and challenges, which was, I think happened about three, four years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and legally speaking, if anybody wants to take an action against ESM, they have about six years to take the action within limitation period and it's still within six years. So I'm not, I'm not sure whether uh, any party who wants to, to take action against ESM have waived their rights, etc., etc. I'm not sure. Mm. But that, if you're talking about the past, that's the past, one of the main issues uh, and uh, still haunting ESM until now.
1: I see, um, Brian. You are you yourself are a casual esports player. Yeah. Um. So when we talk about some of these reforms that ESM has uh, planned, what kind of changes are you expecting to see in regards to that?
2: Of course, uh, one of the main things is uh, better player protection. We esports players work so hard. If you read about their daily lives, they spend hours and hours just not only playing a game. Uh, I think this is a misconception that people generally have, that people just play the game of eight, Mm. ten hours a day. Um, But actually, a lot of their time goes into researching. So reading, like, what are the different changes in the game, uh, re-watching my match again and again, uh, what could we have done better, researching on opponents. There's a lot of time spent in that side of things. So with so much work and effort being put inside, the last thing we want is, or last thing esports players want is to not get the prize money, not get paid your salary. And I think this is a very prevalent issue in esports. Very recently, even the top-tier players have released statements of non-payment of wages. uh, And it's something that I think the scene has to grapple with Mm. um, in order to move forward. And ESM being the governing body in Malaysia, I think this is one area which we can, they can put their foot down and do something about it.
1: Besides some of the um, things that you just mentioned, such as better player protection, you know what are some of the other major legal issues currently facing the esports industry?
0: Well, if I first um, approach esports uh, like any other sports, um, I mean, the moment the gaming community decide to switch the name to sport, very uh, e-sport, a-sport, b-sport, but when you use the word sports and you want to be treated like a sports. There are certain regulations. For example, issues of doping. Uh, they eventually they have to deal with doping. Uh, all professional players all over the world, they play football, basketball, athlete. They're tested. it's no no different than e-sports players. Uh, at the moment, uh, the, I, I think the doping process have not process have not really come in yet into e-sports. Number one, number two, the issues of integrity. Uh, which can include uh, many, many layers of uh, uh, integrity. One is the players themselves. There's uh, issues of corruption, match fixing, match betting, betting on themselves to lose. Uh, There are many instances of that happening. Uh, And then when you catch a player, for example, say betting on herself or himself to lose, uh, what are the steps taken to uh, ban the player?
2: Mm. Also not
0: there. So uh, that flows nicely to the issue of the integrity of the association. Uh, corruption in uh, uh, selection of uh, president, selection of uh, bidding host nation. So, like the upcoming international by Dota Two. So, how did they choose that host? Uh, was there any corruption? Yeah, the, the, as you know, in FIFA and o, uh, IOC, there there are strict rules in in uh, choosing the uh, select the bidding host. The third issues of uh, integrity would mean uh, would include uh, the. Uh, in, for purposes of esports, the uh, manipulation of the game because uh, esports have is a software, and so if I uh, 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 corrupt the software by putting in a virus, uh, would that affect the integrity of the game? Still not, still not addressed. So there's just two: one is doping, two is integrity. The third one are the rules and regulation of tournament. Every tournament is different. We have differing rules, differing interpretation. It's very confusing. Uh, same tournament held in. KL uh, and EPO have two different rules. That has to be addressed. Mm. Uh, fourth is, uh, I would say, the issues of media. Uh, in most of the major sports, the, the rules governing media, uh, what you can and cannot uh, broadcast. So eSports have their problem because you, anybody can stream the game live uh, uh, and uh, eSports effectively doesn't need television at all. So we will not get we're Very unlikely to get similar deals that we see for the Premier League and the Olympics, worth billions of dollars to showcase or showcase on on television. Because in esports, they don't need it. That community use the internet to stream. So how do you deal with that? Because there are streamers, and then there are streamers of streamers, and then there are people who steal someone streaming and stream on their stream. So how how do you deal with that?
1: Such a big so, yeah, web Yeah, big problem, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm just curious, what does e-doping look like? <laughs> what, what, well, yeah. friend,
0: you, 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 you're good at this. What do you do
2: this? Year? E-doping um, is basically something you do to give you an advantage in the game. So there are two ways these things can happen. Um, actually, three. One is you actually uh, modify the software itself. Um, the other one is manipulation of the hardware itself, the keyboard, the mouse, where one click of a button actually does three things or five things at the same time, instantaneously. Um, of course, the third way of e-doping is um, where there is not much modification, but because, as uh, Richard said earlier, everything is broadcasted on the internet, including the tournament itself, so I can actually be playing a tournament, competing in a tournament, yet watching that tournament being broadcast. So that gives me an aerial eagle-eye view of what's happening, and I can I can you know make make my strategy um, in line with whatever information that I'm having.
1: We are discussing esports and the upcoming esports tournament, The International. I'm speaking to Richard Wee, who's a sports lawyer, and Brian Wu, a paralegal. We will be right back after the short break. You're listening to Live and Learn on the Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. This is Live and Learn on the Bigger Picture, and I'm Kelly Anissa. I'm speaking to Richard Wee, sports lawyer, and Brian Wu, a paralegal, and we are discussing esports and the upcoming esports tournament, The International. So before the break, we have have um, a brief. We had a brief overview of what it qualifies as e-sport, as well as some of the uh, common legal issues facing this industry. But now we're going to take a look at the international. You know, it's one of the most anticipated e-sports events of the year, and that's happening this month. Right. So, could you briefly give us an overview of this event and you know, what it's about?
2: So, the premise of this game, uh, the premise of this tournament is uh, Dota Two. Mm. Um, it has a lot of, uh, garnered a lot of attraction um, worldwide because people have been playing it since Dota 1 days before it became Dota 2. And so if I could draw an analogy from, uh, let's say, football, uh, the International is like the World Cup of Dota 2 tournaments. I see. So winning the, the, the International, you get to flaunt that you are the best team in the world. Of course, prize money is huge. Mm. Uh, I think as it stands, uh, the International 19... Is the first the champion will get about fourteen million as it stands now uh, for the whole team. So it's a lot of money and a lot of glory at stake.
1: And how do teams qualify for this?
2: Uh, The publishers for Dota Two Valve recently, or past two to three years, came with a new um, qualifying system, uh, in which they they have a number of uh, smaller tournaments throughout the year, which gives you points if you win them. So the top twelve. Um, points accumulated, teams with the top 12 points would immediately qualify for um, the international. At the same time, there's another six slots which are open to regional qualifiers, which means anybody in the world can take part in uh, that qualifiers and possibly make it to uh, the international.
1: Mm. So Richard, of the legal issues that you mentioned earlier, how many of those do you actually see being a concern for a tournament like the international?
0: Uh, This... World Cup Dota, uh, the international, is one of the better organised. In fact, I would, I would dare say one of the top organized esports tournament. Very well managed. Uh, they have proper internal disciplinary rules. Uh, I, I think uh, they have the mechanisms to keep an eye on the player. Um, any opportunity or any chance to uh, manipulate the game is uh, de- extinguished. So it's, it's, a, it's a fair play, fair play game. Mm. Uh, effectively, as you know, in sports, you want to be treated fairly. You want a fair game to win. So uh, the international is very well run and it's something which um, a standard which we can uh, aspire towards. Or uh, for an aspiring tournament organiser, look at what they are doing at the international, learn and apply it to your tournament.
1: Hmm. And so this season, uh, three Dota 2 players made racial statements One was banned by the publisher from comp- competing in a major tournament um, Another was kicked off the team While the third was only given a warning by the team And had to give up his winnings from a major tournament As well as give assurance that such a situation will never happen again um, So Brian, you know, what are your thoughts on that? It seems like three, uh, you know, three very different ways of dealing with a similar issue
2: this is one area where uh, Richard and I have um, have noticed, and we have an issue with, uh, that is the strength or the authority of the governing um, agency or organization. So, if we take um, FIFA for example, if FIFA bans a player, he is banned worldwide. Uh, of course, there is a reason. We know why exactly that person is banned. Um, however. In esports, each game has their own publisher which owns the rights to the game. Therefore, they set the rules. They can allow a player to play or not play, uh, for that matter. So in this situation, uh, we are not sure what exactly is the reason why certain players are banned, certain players are not, certain players are given a lighter sentence uh, because there isn't really a formal uh, statement like a decision or grounds of decision that is uh, released by the publisher. So a lot of times the community can only guess um, why the publishers choose to make such a, a sanction, give us such a sanction or punishment. Um, but we feel that that is an area lacking in esports, that mm. the publishers can do something more about the disciplinary part of, of, uh, of esports.
1: So this is, um, you know, this... The the major tournament we're talking about, is that also the international in this case?
2: Uh, they were the smaller tournaments that give you the points to qualify for mm. uh, the international. I see. Yeah,
1: So those do not fall under the jurisdiction of the main um, event itself?
2: Uh, they do. Um, however, a lot of the statements released um, leaves a lot to be wanted Um to be craved for because for example when the person when one of the players was banned from the major tournament um, all the publishers did was this player is banned full stop sort of, kind of thing mm. so there was not much of an explanation um, even if there was it was very little um, we know the player was banned for uh, for concealing for trying to cover up um, however it does not explain why later on another player got off pretty much <coughs> spot free so it's still that big grey question mark that we're not too familiar with, we're you not know, understand.
1: I see. And, um, you know, if we look deeper into the Dota 2 professional scene, um, you know, there seems to be some criticisms about unequal punishment. So, years ago, a Russian Dota 2 player, Solo, was found to have been involved in match-fixing. And he was given a stern warning by the publishers. And after that, um, a Dota 2 team made up of Malaysians were also found to be involved in match-fixing, but was instead given a lifetime ban from the publishers. So... You know, thereby effectively ending the careers of these players. You know, why the differing punishments? <laughs> Richard, maybe you'd like to ta- start with this.
0: I'm laughing because it's very difficult to explain. Yeah, We, we don't know uh, and are uh, caring from what uh, Brian said earlier. Uh, many times when decisions are made to uh, stop, ban, suspend, uh, find a player, we have no idea why. Mm. Uh, and of course, this sounds like a very selective uh, uh Prosecution or persecution uh, that uh, uh, two uh, Asian players or Malaysian players were, were given a lifetime ban, uh, but the other player was not. So we we, uh, we feel that uh, that the lack of a uniform um, uh, ruling, uh, uniform, uh, p- p- well, I would say, punishment uh, in, in a very loose way uh, would would be helpful. We need that. And we don't have it in in
2: esports. So, Mm. hence why we have this problem. I virtually cannot answer that question because we don't know why. To be fair to the publishers, there are some publishers in which their esports actually have a book of rules and regulations. Uh, for example, the Overwatch League, there is a rules and regulations that has been issued by the, the commissioner. Uh, and in that, if you breach or you do not follow one of those, you are actually liable for punishment. Um, however, the, the large majority of other esports do not have such a rule uh, or regulation. And Dota 2, unfortunately, falls within that Um uh, that criteria, that that category, and um, the only thing we could possibly, or the community possibly guess, um, why this is possible, uh, why this is such a, a situation, is because um, the first match fixing that ever happened happened before there were a there was a stern warning or announcement uh, that you know this will not be tolerated. Uh, however, the Dota Two Malaysian team that match fixing happened after the announcement, um, so. Of course, if you make an announcement that you won't tolerate, the punishments will be more severe. Uh, But we will need more rules and regulations by the publishers in in their own respective esports.
1: I mean, I'm just curious, can the players take any form of legal um, action in response to the kind of punishments or the differing punishments that they have received?
0: Of course they can. Uh, The right is always open to them, but they will face quite a number of legal hurdles. For example, if the... That's used Again, when you when you come to the realm of law, uh, there are many rules that you have to comply first before you can even think of taking action. So, if the tournament, for example, takes place at Amsterdam and the publisher is a, 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 a is based in New York and the player is a Malaysian player who happened to reside in, say, South Africa, so where do you file suit? Mm. Uh, you know, so that, that's the first question. And then, of course, some people, some lawyers may say, oh, we'll file in New York. So it's not easy for a Malaysian to to file a suit in New York. Uh, And uh, so there are practical challenges, though legally uh, the player in that kind of situation that we mentioned uh, have that avenue and they can take it up, but it'll probably cost them quite a substantial amount of cost to to proceed.
2: I think to add on to Richard, Richard is right in that... um, there is this whole issue of jurisdiction and cost. Uh, but we also shouldn't forget that at the end of the day, one major difference between esports and sports is that sports belong to nobody. No one actually owns the right to a football or or badminton. Uh, but in esports, Dota 2, for example, someone actually owns the game, the right to the game. Mm. And so the players are playing it based on a license from the publisher. So when the... The publisher bans a player. He's effectively saying, I'm revoking my license for you to play. So you don't have the license to use my product. Um, you don't have the license to, be, to play the game. Uh, therefore, effectively, you can't play Dota anymore. So it's not just like FIFA where uh, there's a cumulative agreement, uh, whereas this is quite... Uh, legal in the sense that there is, there is actually a document that you have to agree to uh, in order to play the game. Mm-hmm. So the revocation of license is the right of the publisher. Uh, something that we have to bear in mind as well.
1: I see. Um, and over the years, the international has always had um, you know, the issue of players getting their visas re- rejected or not being able to get their visas in time for um, the, this tournament. And in, as a result of that, it would deny the player from competing at it. And you know, it also affects the team's chances of winning. Uh, you know, what are the reasons behind this and, and what can be done to tackle that issue?
2: Uh, when it comes to visa, um, athletes usually have a special visa to enter, let's say, the United States. Mm. So, um, when it comes to esports, unfortunately, there are many countries that don't see esports at the same level of sports. Mm. So, when you apply Dota, uh, the international traditionally has always been held in uh, the U.S. So, when they apply for an athlete's visa or a P visa. Um, they are rejected on grounds that you are not technically an athlete, so you would have to apply for a different kind of visa. Um, but given a short timeline, it's very difficult for them to reapply for another form of visa. Um, so for Valve, at the very least, um, what they're trying to do to circumvent this issue is to host the tournament in Different countries. So last year we had it in Canada, this year we'll be in China. Um, of course, as Richard mentioned earlier, there's also the issue of w- was the bidding process, was there a bidding process, mm. how does the selection of countries go? Um, and that is another legal issue altogether.
1: And as you've just said, um, there is always that issue with how people generally perceive esports, you know, that it's not an, uh, you know, a quote, actual sport. So how do you respond to that criticism? Should Um, e-sport players be entitled to the same rights as athletes in physical sports?
0: Um, At the moment, um, eventually, yes. I think the the, the e-sports athletes will eventually be acknowledged uh, fairly similarly to the uh, normal athletes and the traditional athletes that we have. Um, But at the moment, uh, it'll take time for people to acknowledge that. I think if you ask, for example, a rugby player or a uh, football player they will be quite unhappy that someone who just sits down on a chair and play a game will be because an athlete mm. whereas uh, this person who's busting the guts out on the pitch uh, getting injured breaking their legs is also an athlete So because most people still equate sports to the sweat the tears uh, or running on the pitch mm. uh, or on a badminton court a squash court uh, but uh, esports, uh, uh, and therefore there lies the problem because people really don't understand what esports players do. Uh, yes, of course, the, the, at the crux of it, the esports players really just sit down and, and uh, mentally uh, focus on the game and using their reactive skills, uh, their fingers in the hands, mm. uh, to control the keyboard or the whatever uh, um, instructive panel and try to compete the other person and win. But behind the scene, this player, actually, for a professional player, would have trained 6 to 12 hours a day. Uh, they live in a particular bungalow house or certain home uh, together. They eat and sleep together so that they work as a team. They understand each other. The Dota 2 require 3 or 4 players to play one goal. Mm. So A needs to know B, B needs to know C, C needs to know D and again many people may not know that esports professional teams have psychologists some have nutritionists and they also are required to run they, they have uh, uh, they are required to stay healthy uh, right. they 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 need to be fit they do, they may not have six packs muscle but <laughs> they uh, have a six packs brain for example to, to play so uh, i think mindset needs to change uh, i i don't blame a a physical sports player to say hey how can this person be a player when i'm the one You know, bursting my guts out. I I don't blame that mentality because they don't know what esports players go through. Um, So, eventually, I think, once people begin to more understand what esports players do, what they go through in order to win a game, then, yeah, they'll change. Don't forget, we had this same problem with X Games. Mm -hmm. So, 15, 20 years ago, when people were jumping around on BMX, I remembered some elder people said, there can't be sports. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, climbing a uh, rock, that can't, that can't be sports. But now rock climbing uh, is a Olympic sport. Right. So, and, and no one is complaining. So, it'll take time, and I think eventually, uh, esports players will be on the same level with uh, normal players. Yeah.
1: And, Brian, um, you know, what are other general legal issues that you are looking for uh, Valve to address for the upcoming 2019
2: or 2020 se- uh, season? Well, Valve has um, indirectly expressed that one of the issues they want to tackle in the coming um, announcement they're going to make at The International is racism in Dota 2, uh, particularly at the competitive level. Um, there were racial slurs being used in pro, um, official games. Mm. Uh, so that is one issue that we are looking uh, we're waiting to see how Valve will handle the issue. Uh, the other issue is uh, the last year, Valve actually um, said that they want to they want the teams to stay away from betting sites and sponsorship from betting sites uh, of course this is an issue of integrity mm. uh, because you want to be you want the players and the team to be not only to play fair but to be seen to be playing fair and uh, so they they gave a, a announced made an announcement saying that teams should start staying away um, however a lot of these teams still have Contracts with these uh, sponsorship contracts with these betting sites, and uh, Valve has yet to address how are they supposed to are they supposed to breach the contract, uh, or how does Valve want these teams to handle these contracts with the betting sites? So these are the two main areas that I'm actually looking at in terms of the legal side of uh, Dota Two.
1: I suppose we can. We'll just have to wait and see what happens with the reforms that that is going to take place within ESM. So uh, more on that hopefully soon. Um, But we have to wrap up the show. Um, Do the two of you have a final message for listeners? Brian?
2: Um, I think the esports is gaining traction, is growing bigger and bigger. Um, The young people and not so young people right now are getting drawn into playing games uh, and understanding esports a lot more. And I think um, companies, uh, governments, Associations, organizations have also shown an interest in esports. So uh, while it is very um, encouraging to see the growth of esports uh, and the attention that it gets, I think esports itself needs to quickly get in place certain regulations uh, to regulate itself and you know rules uh, and to sort out these main issues before they can actually go be carried to the next level. Yeah, Richard.
0: Well, um, I, I, I'm looking forward to hear from the uh, ministry uh, on the esports uh, blueprint. Uh, see the direction of the government with esports. Number one, number two. Um, uh, I also hope that uh, uh, the ESM or esports federation they will uh, take steps to, uh, and I'm I'm confident they will. They take steps to. Uh, get things better and uh, more effective for the community. And I think in terms of law, uh, esports law, uh, the biggest challenge for this area uh, is to get the concept of uh, um, rules and regulation uniform, standardised, accepted throughout, not just Malaysia, yeah, but the whole world. Mm. It has to be the whole world. You can have a little bit of tweak here and there, you know, yellow card different here, yellow card different there, like, like, like for football. But... Uh, across the world must be the same. And once that happens, uh, I, I, the sponsors will start coming in. Uh, I think uh, the people will invest more comfortably uh, once they know that things are uniform and stable. Uh, but until such time, the esports is basically a uh, you know, day-by-day basis for now. Uh, I, but I, I, when we speak to the esports community, I, I feel that the entire community wants to go towards a proper governance proper regulation and it will happen la i'm sure it will eventually mm.
1: Mm. Well, thank you very much for joining me on the show today, Brian and Richard. Thank you, very
0: much. thank you.
2: Thank you.
1: <laughs> I was speaking to Richard Wee. He's a sports lawyer and Brian Wu, a paralegal. We were discussing esports and the upcoming esports tournament, The International. If you've missed any part of this interview or any Live and Learn segments, you can download the podcast on the BFM app, available on Google Play, the App Store and also on Spotify. You've been listening to Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9.